Hi, and welcome to Box Stores Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish Andrews, and I'm here to make it clear, Steel. And this week, unfortunately, Jade couldn't make it. They're off being sickening. So uh, we roped in a Box on Included all-star. You may remember him from our live episode on Cosplay, or perhaps on YouTube with his fantastic series of video essays, or on his own podcast, The Sewers of Paris, or as the DJ of the Dungeons and Drag Queen series, Queens of Adventure, soon to debut on our ear listening. I'm winging it. It is, of course... Hello, it's Matt Special Guest Baum. Hooray! I hope I did that intro all accurately and not completely messing everything up. It was delightful. Oh, good. Um, it's great to have you back. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for inviting me back. It's lovely to chat with you again. It's also very last minute. Um, That's we... how I do everything. <laughs> yes, uh, we, uh, yes we, ha- we have a subject to talk about. As you might have guessed from some of my clues, we are talking about drag today. Um, and Jade couldn't make it, so we brought you in because I know you are a huge consumer and uh, contributor of the drag, I don't know, community art form. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like, going way back to when I was just sort of uh, gestating as a queer person, uh, it was drag that helped me figure out, oh, is this what queer is? Or, you know, I wouldn't have used that term then, but... And uh, we've been hearing similar sentiments from uh, some people who listen to our show, and I've heard that sentiment a lot. Um, Recently, there has been some controversy about it, and it's not new controversy, I don't think. It's a kind of ongoing issue that I think is finally maybe being addressed. But um, before we do that and get into the main topic, we're going to do a little catch-up geek out as we start every episode. So, Matt, what have you been geeking out about recently? Well, especially in the last few days, I've been obsessing over this one episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, It's (laughs) the one rejoined. Uh, the lesbian episode, the lesbian kiss episode, where uh, Dax uh, encounters a, a lover from a past life, and uh, there's a lot of uh, steamy, uh, will she, won't she, uh, meaningful gazes, and uh, you know, no spoilers, but uh, there's a, a, a dramatic uh, coming together of, of two women uh, in a way that was very new uh, in the 1990s um, to, to see on television. Uh, so I'm going to be I'm making a YouTube video about this uh, this whole thing. So, uh, you know, I've just been studying the episode and looking at what else was on TV at the time. And, you know, the lesbian kisses on like L.A. Law and um, gosh, oh, Ellen was like just a few years later. And of course, Roseanne happened around that time. Mm. So uh, I've been kind of geeking out over lesbian kisses of the mid 90s. <laughs> um, I've I think I said on, a, on our sort of space episode that um, Star Trek is the thing I'm probably most familiar with that I haven't actively engaged with. Um, Mm. I've watched all of Discovery and I have watched a lot of episodes, but it was more my brother's fandom growing up. And I think um, Deep Space Nine is among the ones I've not watched a ton of, but I'm very aware of the kiss. Um, I'm very aware of the sort of sci-fi backflips it does to justify it. (laughs) Because mm. um, I know for a long, a long, long time, the complaint was there was no canonical queer characters in Star Trek. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: is certainly they're out there in the galaxy somewhere. It's just that we so seldom see them on the screen. So you know, you'll have a few moments like. Um, 
Oh, gosh, there's uh, a few little glimpses, uh, a few little hints about homosexuality, or at least gender queering on Next Generation. Uh, you've got Dax on DS9, who is something very complex in that she can live through different lifetimes uh, in different genders. Uh, and then, you know, 22 years after that kiss, we've got Discovery uh, with an actual, like, ongoing, like, a, a queer couple that is not just like a one-off kind of, you know, you see them once and then they're gone forever. But mm. it is kind of a bummer that there wasn't more of it earlier. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I've really come become aware of in, in working on this uh, YouTube video uh, about the DS9 episode is that because it's sci-fi, there's this sort of tension where it opens this opportunity to talk about queer couples through the metaphor of, oh, it's in the future. And, uh, you know, we're, we've got this... Um, space lesbian basically uh, <laughs> that we're going to talk about uh, taboo through the lens of uh, some other sci-fi alien thing when really we all know that we're talking about homosexuality but we're never going to say homosexuality so it lets them get very close to the topic closer than say Roseanne or L.A. Law could uh, but then they can't actually touch it you know it's it's sort of um, uh, it would break the metaphor if they actually, you know, in the episode turned to the camera and, and said, but of course, we're actually talking about the contemporary issues of gender and sexuality. Hmm. Uh, they can't do that. So, uh, you know, they can get up to the cutting edge, but they can't step over it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it was for lack of uh, want from certain cast members to do this. I know um, I watched, I haven't watched much of that after track show, which they do after Star Trek Discovery, but um Jonathan Frakes has talked about his regrets about not tackling things a bit more um I guess how you would nowadays but I think I think Star Trek hopefully going forward it can it can do what it was always meant to do um yeah I, I think that's you know and I, I can't hold it too much against the show because you know it was the late 80s early 90s I mean going back to the original series the 1960s yeah uh, you just couldn't you just couldn't um, that's really exciting. Is that research for an upcoming video? Yeah, yeah. So on my YouTube channel, uh, I've got this series that I started recently called Culture Cruise, where I talk about LGBT issues on TV and in movies and books and all that kind of stuff. So I did an episode recently about the Golden Girls, about the queer episodes of that show. Uh, and then my next one is going to be about DS9. And then uh, we'll see what uh, what people want to see after that. That's really exciting. I, um... You have used your videos occasionally for research for this show, and even though I had been peripherally uh, into it for a while, it was your videos that convinced me to finally sit down and actually watch Golden Girls. And so... I'm so pleased to hear that. (laughs) I'm geeking out about uh, having just finished season one. I'm not marathoning through it very fast because I'm watching it with my husband, um... So we have to sort of find the time to do it, but I've really enjoyed it. it really... Yeah, how are you finding it so far? What's it like to watch uh, <laughs> a, a fresh? Uh, it's really cool because it it's both the most dated thing ever and so surprisingly <laughs> contemporary. Um, <laughs> I I I mean, I lived for the decor in some of the rooms, the the palm leaf wallpaper is oh my god excites yes. me every time i see it um i i don't know we, we talked about it we did an episode on very special episodes and um i mentioned how golden girls uh especially in, well in season one from what i've seen there are basically two types of episodes 
which are, oh, everything's been going great with my new boyfriend for two weeks, and I think he's going to ask me to marry him, but, but what? Well, issue. They solve yep. the issue, but through some means they don't eventually get married. And the other one is, well, my new, oh, my relative has come to town, but issue, and they solve <laughs> the issue. And, uh, it's it's enjoyable. I'm waiting for the show to branch out a little bit, but um, it's a lot stronger than a lot of sitcoms first seasons. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Golden Girls is one of those rare shows that really knows what it is right from the beginning, with the exception of Sophia's wig, which got better over time. <laughs> but like, it's fully formed right out of the pilot. Well, and the um, hilarious. Lee absent gay chef who's only in the first episode. Oh. Yeah, poor Coco. He was there. He was so brief. So it was gonna, he was going to be a main character, and Sophia was going to be just a one-off in the pilot. And then they were like, oh, actually, she's really great. Let's keep her and get rid of this guy. So I really regret what could have been uh, if he'd stuck around. Yeah, when I said I was watching the first episode, someone said, don't worry, that guy doesn't stick around. And, like, oh. I can get that at the time, maybe that wasn't the type of gay character people did, wanted on screen, but I think now when... There's a real call for, like, let's celebrate actually camp characters and characters that are, like, I, I don't like using the term straight washed, but I haven't come up with something else. But, like, this character is very gay, and I guess for a while at the time people didn't want that. Um, but. It's true. He's very outspoken. I wonder how much of that is uh, an attempt to create a new uh, Benson from Soap, um, which was Susan Harris's previous. I think there was something in between Soap and, and Golden Girls. But anyway, so like Benson was such a great character on that show and so outspoken and, you know, could do commentary on the lives of the crazy people around him. Mm. I wonder if they were like, well, maybe we can make a gay one now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, up until watching this, I knew who Betty White was from present day Betty White. And mm. I was mostly aware of B. Arthur from the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Another good context to know her in. <laughs> um... So, which is, I, you know, that special has flaws, but her number is delightful, I think. Yes, um, yes. If Disney insists on making 10 Star Wars films a year, I want at least one to be a musical. We are, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I mean, B. Arthur, no, like, what, what a gift that would be to the world. They can, oh, they gosh, can, Star Wars musical. They can uh, Grand Morph talk and be Arthur in the background somewhere. Uh, exactly. Just have her walk <laughs> on through. Just a minor like background <laughs> character. I, I'm i creeped out by the, the digital doubling of people who have passed away. But uh, also, it's just like having her there as a little tribute to, um, gosh, what was her character's name? I don't uh, know. It was, Bartender. It was something very strange. <laughs> yeah, like, it was like, Mo- no, I'm thinking Mon Mothma. Shoot. No, I can't remember what, who. I can't remember. Oh, well. Just a she would have been, I want an action figure, I want it all. She would have been a good Mon Mothma. I could definitely see her as a rebel leader, like, yes. giving instructions to everyone. Surely that... I mean, there's been a Star Wars novel about every little background character. <laughs> there must be one about uh, B. Arthur. There, uh, you know, Glenn Weldon has this marvelous... Um, I think it's a short, or is it a comic? I think it's a short uh, story that he wrote uh, about um, TK421, mm-hmm. uh, as in TK421, Why Aren't You at Your Post?, uh, very obscure character doesn't even appear in the movies, but um, uh, so Glenn Weldon, who does pop culture happy hour and, and a lot of other stuff at NPR, uh, wrote this short story about uh, that character uh, being um, 
in a queer relationship on the Death Star uh, and also having um, the little um, those little mousy droids as uh, as his beloved pet. Uh, and it's it's quite sweet and quite enduring, mm. uh, quite endearing. Uh, so, I mean, if he can have a story, why can't be? Exactly. And for anyone saying that, well, that Star Wars holiday special isn't canon, that's what Boba Fett's from. So, Exactly. And, you know, uh, <laughs> Anthony Oliveira, who I follow on Twitter, uh, had a great uh, comment uh, along those lines recently where he said, um, canonicity is an invention of capitalism. And I <laughs> love that approach uh, to, to, you know, if, if you want it to be canon, it's canon. Mm-hmm. I know that the other things we want to geek out about are on a Drag Race theme. Yes. Um, why don't you go first? Oh, well, so I've been having a really lovely experience uh, with uh, All Stars, where um, here in Seattle, uh, of course, Ben de la Creme is our hero. Uh, mm-hmm. She's uh, from here now. She isn't originally from uh, Seattle, but she's been here long enough that we can claim her. <laughs> uh, and so she's been hosting, along with Jinx Monsoon and Waxy Moon, uh, they've been hosting screenings uh, of the uh, episodes here in Seattle. Uh, and so it's been just such a pleasure to uh, watch those live, like as they as they air with her in the room. Um, unfortunately, I had to miss the like the big episode. Her. Mm. Um, no spoilers when she made a decision that had everybody talking. Uh, but uh, I, so I wasn't able to go to that one, but a friend of mine was, and he said it was a religious experience. I actually watched a YouTube uh, recording of that um, night. Oh, um, wonderful. Which uh, was great. I think um, it's really fun because I, I always see recordings from like uh, gay bars and queer clubs of Drag Race, and it is literally sport. It's what our sport is. Everyone goes along, they watch on a big TV, they cheer, they gasp, they scream, they chant, they sing along. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's really drag at its best. I mean, it's not just... From the outside, it may just look like, oh, it's a man putting on a wig. Uh, But there's so much community and so much expression and so much... um, Oh, I don't know, conviviality uh, around uh, the gathering to watch a performance. Uh, it is a really lovely, in this troubling digital age, mm. it's a really lovely reason to get together in real life with other people who are extended chosen family. It's a, it's something I'm quite jealous of because in the UK, um, drag race watching is a skill, not a <laughs> enjoyable it basically trying to avoid spoilers until it airs on TV two days mm. later, or trying to find some kind of link to watch it on or whatever. I I don't think I've watched a season this year when I haven't known who's going, which is a bit sad. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make I mean, it it's... extra. I know it's it is partially my fault. I just always forget. Um, luckily. Um, over here, All Stars doesn't count, but the actual show is a Netflix show, and it's uploaded uh, at midnight or whatever. So that's never an issue. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but I do know that in the UK they do screenings the same way they do in America, but it's odd. <laughs> uh, it's either at like three a.m. on a Thursday, or they do it on a Saturday when everyone's already watched it. So I've um. I've not actually been to one of those. But the thing I have been... The the Drag Race adjacent, but not really, thing I've been enjoying has been Drag Race Thailand. Have you watched any of that? Yeah, I've seen some clips. Um, You know, and now I'm very jealous of Drag Race Thailand. Uh, They have... They're really turning it out. I mean, it, it is 
serious, dra- like gorgeous art drag. Yeah. I am just, I'm so in love with it. And also like, okay, I, I just want viewing parties of this now. Uh, like, I know we're going straight from All Stars into uh, season 10, but uh, I don't know. I want, you know, like Thursdays is when it, everything airs and when all the parties are here. And so I'm like, okay, maybe on Tuesdays we can have the Thailand episodes. <laughs> yeah, I've watched um, the first three episodes and um, mm-hmm. I have my faves. I am very invested. Um, there's, it, there's a, I'm watching it with subtitles that go a little bit extra and they explain certain cultural things or references they're making. Um, huh. but I think part of it's interesting because they make a lot of references to American drag race. Um, they have a lot of the same challenges. They have a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the, of RuPaul's music is playing. Um, mm-hmm. but that makes all the slight differences really stand out. And so, one difference I've noticed is that the judges, um, not only I feel, and this isn't an insult to any of the guest judges on RuPaul's Drag Race, but the uh, uh, the level of uh, effort put into how they look on the judging panel, pretty much all of them are in full art drag. And oh, even yeah, that is quite a change. Even the guests who aren't sort of drag queens, a lot of the judges are drag queens or queer performers in some way, but even the ones aren't, go all out. And um, the host... Well, the host, I wouldn't say put more... more, They don't put more effort in than RuPaul. I'm just saying that their style of art... It's kind of like if Milk was hosting (laughs) Drag Race. Like, they come out every single episode wearing all kinds of weird things, and it's it's just really... That makes it kind of interesting and different. Um... And their critiques are so much harsher. Oh, (laughs) really? Fully go in, and uh, it reminds me a lot. And this is interesting because it is Drag Race Thailand season one. It reminds me a lot of season one, two, three, where everyone they're a bit nastier, but I don't want to say that in a mean way. Like they're a little less concerned with how social media is going to deal with this, Um, Mm. and they really criticize each other and call each other out in a way that reminds me a lot of the early seasons. That is interesting. Yeah, you know, something that I've noted, because I've been going back and watching some of the last couple seasons, I watched season nine and back to season, I think, six, um, is how supportive at that point uh, Michelle, like as harsh as Michelle Visage can be, um, that she really wants them to succeed. And it's nice to see someone being like harsh, but because they know you can do better. Uh, and so I haven't watched like the first few seasons. I think I, yeah, I, I don't think I've seen the first few seasons. Um, so it'd be interesting to go back and, and see like, I mean, cause that was a little pre social media, at least the way we know social media. Uh, it's, and, um, yeah, the show's definitely evolved in that time. So, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see that, that harshness. Uh, you know, because it's it's something that people think of when they think of a drag. Oh, it's all about reading. It's all about like cutting remarks. Um, but I think part of the magic, especially in the last few seasons of Drag Race, has been people lifting each other up. Mm. And so I guess we've gone on to our main topic now, our maxi topic. Uh, we are talking about not just RuPaul's Drag Race, but um, drag itself. Um, now, this is a really big question, and I don't really want to take too long doing it, but how do you personally define drag? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. I think it's one of those sort of amorphous things that not only changes with time, but changes from person to person. You know, it's like saying, what is sexy? I, you know, it's a question mm. that, uh, you know, everyone's going to have a different answer to. But uh, for me, personally, uh, this is 
my personal rule and not like the rule that I apply to other people. Uh, it is an extravagant, over-the-top exploration and uh, uh, celebration and uh, challenging of the rules around gender. Um, and so anything that, uh, you know, takes the social rules or the, you know, what what is expected and flips it around or uh, heightens it, that to me, that's drag. Mm-hmm. I think that's how we are defining it now. Um, but I can understand why people on the outside looking in can see that the most common form that takes is cis men dressing as women. Yeah, I think for, um, this is going to be a ridiculous um, reference to make, but I think for an example of how narrow drag used to be, uh, there's a season one or season two episode of Murder, She Wrote, where she goes to San Francisco and goes to a drag show. And in that depiction of drag, it is just a man in a dress and he's got stubble and he talks in a deep voice and... There's some sort of murder plot because, of course, there is because it's murder she wrote. <laughs> but it's just, you know, big, beefy, brawny football player in a gown. And mm. and that's all drag is. And that's all it can be. And, uh, you know, there's been a long time. Like when I was figuring out what drag was initially as a teenager, I was like, oh, OK, it's when a man puts on a dress and uh, mouths the words to a song. OK, got it. That's all drag is. Mm. Uh, and that's not the case. I think before I understood it, I thought the joke was aren't women funny or aren't men dressing as women funny? But mm-hmm. when you start looking into it, so little of that is true. So few of them want a laugh just from the sight of them in a dress. That's not really part of it. But Yeah, exactly. That's the perception, I think. There's a real misogyny that can come with drag. I think, you mm-hmm. know, that um, among gay men or straight men or whatever, there there's definitely that aspect of um, it's it's something insulting for a man to be in a dress. Like the worst thing a man can be is feminine. And yeah. uh, that's really toxic. And it's something that I definitely resist. I, I like I very seldom see anything like that in real like queer community drag. Um, you know, that's a joke that you might see like in a commercial during a football game, maybe. Because uh, it's just, it's like I said, toxic and, and terrible and uh, untrue. Like, you know, women are powerful and amazing and wonderful. And uh, a man exhibiting feminine traits is uh, something of beauty, I think. I also think there's a reason why it's so um, popular with cis gay men to do. Because growing up in the media, um, our role models haven't been men. They, in, mm. in many ways, the men that we see in uh, pop culture don't represent our struggles and our feelings and we find a lot more to relate to, to divas and big powerful women and um, women who take what they want. And I think, to me, it's always been uh, that type of drag is always about celebration of women and the women that mattered to gay men. Yeah, I mean, I I think most drag that I see that is that is good and meaningful to me, uh, you know, is not like a statement about women. Like, I, I, mm. I don't think of drag saying like, oh, get a load of what women are like, because nobody actually thinks that drag queen drag queens are trying to, you know, make a statement about like, oh, yeah, this is this is what it's like to be a woman because uh, it's it's just not. Uh, so I think um, the drag that I really love is drag that says something internal about the performer. It's something that the performer is expressing 
uh, about uh, about gender or whatever. Um, and I think the reason that that so often in the past has taken the form of men in women's clothes uh, is because there's a lot to say about uh, how society says, no, you mustn't do that ever. You can never, men should never do anything that looks womanly. Uh, and so I think drag is powerful because it, it challenges that. Uh, it's not because gay men generally are trying to you know, make fun of women, uh, because I mean, just the, the idea of that is kind of, is kind of bonkers to me that, but that's actually, that anyone would want to do that. That's actually quite cultural because, and I do think it's hugely changing thanks to things like drag race and this type of drag has always existed. But when I was growing up in the UK, to me, it would never occur to me that a drag queen was gay. To me, a drag queen would be basically a straight bloke making fun of his wife. And that is very common. And I think in the past in British drag, there'd be an entertainment at a straight pub or a club. Um, Which I guess, as you said, that kind of idea is quite bonkers. But I think in the UK, the sort of backlash against drag has been bigger and I think it's taken some of the more modern queens and learning about its history in America that's made a lot of people open up and realize it's not it doesn't have to be about that. You know, now that you mentioned that, I'm thinking back and in high school we had this thing called what was it called? I think it was called like powder puff or something like that. Um where there's like one day out of the year where all the like sporty football boys would wear the girls' cheerleader outfits mm. and the girls, the cheerleaders would wear the boys' football things. And, oh, it was so hilarious because the boys are doing girl things and the girls are doing boy things. Can you imagine something so so absurd? It's so funny. And, you know, th- there it was like you're describing, like, isn't it ridiculous to think that this could ever happen? And now let's go back to the way things should be with boys <laughs> doing boy things and girls doing girl <laughs> things. Yeah. So, I mean, that I don't think of as drag. I, I don't think of that as being like... Oh, let's experiment with gender. I think of that as just being like, uh, you know, mostly that seemed like it was making fun of the idea that you could make fun of gender. Yeah. And then, you know, like retreating, retreating back to the safety of, of, of gender roles. I think that's the and, thing. I mean, what I, I, go on. <laughs> what I really want to see is, you know, I want to see, uh, a, you know, a man who's proud to have makeup and big hair and a dress. And I don't want to see somebody being like, oh, I feel kind of goofy. But uh, I guess since this is, you know, the one day of the year when we do it, I guess I'll do it. But I got to go back to, you know, I'd never do this again. I never do this on my own. I think that's, I mean, the great drag queens are huge, confident wish fulfillment in some way. Um, I think that's the interesting point, what you're saying about the high school thing and what I consider UK old drag is that some people lump things like Mrs. Doubtfire or like Saturday Night Live when men are playing women and things like that. Like, they see that as part of drag. And that to me is so reductive. It's kind of. It, it, to me, it's not drag every time a man puts on a dress. Um, right. I think. I don't know. That puts too much. Like, I think. I, I do think maybe they both count, but I just think. When we're talking about drag, we are not talking about that. We're talking about the sort of queer art form that is radical and empowering, not yeah putting on a dress. I, I, 
I think this is getting back to, you know, what I was saying before of uh, like asking, well, what is what is sexy? Like, what is the definition of sexy? Yeah. Well, it's going to be different for everybody. And it's going to change over time and you're going to change your mind. And so, you know, I don't think, you know, if you try to define the hard limits, the edges of drag, it's just impossible. Uh, so, you know, like Saturday Night Live characters wearing a dress. I mean, I, I guess you could make the case, especially I forget the performer's name, but the guy who did Nancy Reagan in the 80s, mm. uh, first openly queer cast member of Saturday Night Live. Um, I mean, I think I think of that as drag. I certainly like on Kids in the Hall. I think of like Scott Thompson's work as, you know, so many of his characters as being drag. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, a show like Bosom Buddies in the... 70s, I think, late 70s, early 80s, maybe, with uh, Tom Hanks and um, Peter uh, Scolari. Like, that was just two men in a dress trying to pass as women and trying to pull a fast one on everybody. And I don't think of that as... Maybe it's just the it's the heightenedness that, that makes it work for me, that it's hmm. something that is extreme, uh, that no longer is making a reference to actual people, but making a, ru- making a reference to the rules that, that we live under. I think yeah the the fact that it the definition changes depending on who's talking about it and it's so drag is so wide is part of the issue that's happened recently with something like RuPaul's Drag Race being the biggest representation of drag with which is also a competition and so by its definition has a certain narrowness to it can't represent everyone but it's also the thing being forced to represent everyone. I'm going around in a circle. Basically, we'll get onto it. Drag is a art form. Um, but I think recently, because of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is approaching its 10th season, um, it's become a legitimate fandom. I've seen people geek out over it. Um, I've seen mm. cosplays of famous drag queens. There's many groups online. There's also RuPaul's Drag Con. Um, it's definitely a crossover hit and has introduced this uh, art form which used to only belong in nightclubs to the wider world and people are watching with families and many people who aren't queer are watching it um, mm. when did you first become aware of drag? That would probably, I don't know if it's like first, first become aware of drag in fact it almost certainly wasn't but um, the thing that really made it make sense to me was the movie Priscilla Queen of the Desert mm-hmm. uh, which ironically the time that I saw it was on VH1 and hosted by RuPaul during commercial breaks <laughs> um, but it was uh, I was probably 15 or 16 and uh, watched this movie and it made drag appealing to me in a way that you know previously I was you know aware of I think you know oh ha ha men putting on dresses ha ha uh, but seeing that this was a community of people who uh, support each other most of the time and are fighting with each other the rest of the time, that they uh, are living happily and that they um, can express something in themselves that they understand between each other that other people don't, but it's okay because they found each other. Like, these are things that made drag very appealing for me and, and also just being gay in general. Like, that this is a source of power for them, uh, this queer thing that they're expressing. Uh, was super seductive. So it was Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and also RuPaul during the commercial breaks, introducing it and talking about the movie and uh, being enthusiastic about, uh, you know, not being, uh, for lack of a better word, heteronormative. I had a slightly odd roundabout way into it. Um, I did drag before I was kind of aware of it. Um I was really into shows like uh, Summer Heights High 
and I really wanted to do comedy. Um, so I did create a character which I performed at my um, uh, school talent show. <laughs> um, and it was silly and I don't regret doing drag. I regret the, the what I was doing with the drag, I suppose. Um, but I think that regret led me to be very anti-drag race for a really long time. I'm quite embarrassed looking back at myself at my university's LGBT society being very, like, uh, don't watch that show. I, it's problematic and stuff. Um, which is valid, and I hear people saying now, but it's, uh, I was saying it in a really I'm-not-one-of-those-gays type of way. I was going through that phase, um, which I really don't see myself as now um and it actually took watching paris is burning for me to sort of put everything in context um and i think that's an issue maybe with the show and i think that's because when it started it was a really niche small uh filmed on a potato cost a hundred dollars show um it wasn't meant for mainstream success um and i think they didn't go to any we didn't waste any time trying to explain to the cis, gay, or straight viewers like what these words meant and what the background history was of what they were doing. Um, so I guess when I first saw Drag Race, I was reacted quite badly because to me it wasn't any different from the type of drag I regretted doing myself. But I think when I watched uh, Paris is Burning and realised that this is a shared history and the importance of it. And these words aren't just slang things that have popped up on television because it's funny. They Every single one has a really important history. And I, I just connected with it in a way and I took I sort of got over myself and watched all of Drag Race and uh, just got into it. Well, that's really lovely that it was able to do that for you. And gosh, what an important thing Paris is Burning is. Like, it should just be required viewing. I, you know, I don't even know, like, at what school level. But, like, I feel like <laughs> it, it comes to, like, everyone when they see it, they're like, oh, I wish I had seen this earlier. So yeah. I don't know, like, what the earliest is that someone should be presented with it. But uh, it really, it's such a life-changing documentary. I'm so glad it exists. It so easily couldn't have. I think the fact that it... yeah it exists as when as part of the reason it's so magical when you're watching it you're just so happy someone was filming this right right with that in mind do you have any favorite queens or is this a hard oh gosh well you know uh ben is always going to be my favorite Hmm. uh in part because you know i just know ben de la creme from lots of performances here in seattle and you know outside of like her tv appearances she does a ton of theater like live theater that is just brilliant um you know she's got a show called inferno a go-go that's all about dante's inferno she's got a show called cosmos that's all about space uh there's uh, homo for the holidays which is a big christmas tradition here in seattle uh she's got another called freedom fantasia that uh, they do around the fourth of july and then a new one uh that they recently started doing uh return what what, what is it oh it's uh, beware beware the terror of gaylord manor the <laughs> halloween show and it is just Brilliant. I, I think something that people don't appreciate about Benjamin Creme from the show, because there's just no opportunity to, to showcase this, is what a great writer she is. She mm. is a really funny writer, like 
great with jokes, great with characters, great with, um, you know, just really funny stories. Uh, and then also, you know, all of her direction of, of her work is uh, just fantastic as well. I'm actually going to go see her tonight. Uh, she's here doing Drag Becomes Her uh, with Peaches Christ and Jinx Monsoon and Major Scales. Um, you know, it's a drag adaptation of Death Becomes Her. And I'm just so excited for like <laughs> Della brings so much creativity to everything she does. So, I mean, far and away, Dela is my favorite. See, I really like the queens where I have no idea what's going on in their head. And I, <laughs> two of my favorites are Tammy Brown and Jasmine Masters. Um, okay, yeah. I just want to see every ounce of footage of them that exists because I just want to work them out. I could just watch them do anything for hours. Especially, I really love Tammy Brown. I, I, I feel like if I were a drag queen, that's the kind of type I'd do. Um, I do feel like there are those queens where you're like, what is going on upstairs? <laughs> yeah. I, um, there's a, so there's a performer who I don't really consider a drag queen. Um, they're just a sort of queer drag-ish performer um, in the UK mm. called David Hoyle. Um, okay. Possibly better known as the Divine David. I know some of his videos are on YouTube. Um I think some of them are actually on WoW Presents. Um, okay. He's pretty old by now. I think he's in his late 50s. Um, but he's... In a way, he was another one of those stepping stones which made me um, give Drag Race another chance. Because even though he doesn't make any attempt to sort of play with femininity in any way, he's he's covered in makeup, but it's all much closer to clown makeup it's Hmm. exaggerated and quite frightening (laughs) um i've seen him live a few times and it's always changed my life (laughs) in some way he always starts in the sort of realms of comedy but by the end is just like throffing at the mouth of a political chant to go out and kill all members of authority (laughs) Okay. Um and it's always well, that is... <laughs> it always just makes me feel being in that room with all these people and just having a space where we can all be angry about homophobia, about transphobia, about our government without anyone without having to check ourselves, without having to sort of apologize or I- I've been in a few situations in my job um where I make cartoons where I ask, I, I kind of want to push for a certain type of representation, but I'm having to explain kind of homophobia 101 to everyone in the room while doing it. Mm. And yeah. their suggestions to fix it are just kind of like, I've heard that, I've heard that so many times, I've heard that in YouTube comments, like, <laughs> you know. And so to just be in that kind of space, that's why drag, but in a wider sense, just queer performance and acts like that are so important to me because it's just a way to vent in the way yeah it's um it sounds like what you're encountering there is for one thing drag is a way to sort of like tiptoe up on radicalism uh and you know <laughs> uh i don't know queer liberation you know it starts as like oh we're just going to do a fun lip sync to this Katy perry number and by the end of it you're you're waving signs and holding pitchforks <laughs> Um, but also, you know, that community, that's the thing that I saw in, in Priscilla, that uh, here we are all getting together and we don't have to do like gay 101 for each other because mm. we all lived it. Uh, so let's just, you know, geek out about ABBA instead of, you know, being like, 
Well, you see, uh, at the age, around the age of 13, you start to become aware of impulses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's nice to be, and that's part of the reason I love RuPaul's Drag Race, is that there's no other show on TV with that many queer people on it. Mm. Um, and not just cis gay men. We're going to talk in the second half about the problems with Drag Race, but there are problems with a lot of the shows I watch. And I feel like I put a lot of effort into hating on RuPaul's Drag Race when a lot of the shows I don't even spend time criticizing do far worse. But mm-hmm. we'll get onto that. I think we are going to untuck backstage and spill the tea just for a little okay. moment. Hello, it's the middle part of the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, It's a very big topic. We always do these. We always think we're going to do a short episode and we never do. Um, I am joined by Matt in the middle section. Hello. Hello. (laughs) This is not structured at all. Um, And I thought we'd take this opportunity for you to talk about your Kickstarter you're currently running. Oh, yes, indeed. So we are starting a new show, a new podcast called Queens of Adventure, featuring four drag queens playing D&D. It started as a live show here in Seattle, uh, where we got four drag queens up on stage. They play D&D for a live audience. It was a super fun time. Uh, And now we want to bring it to the world. Uh, So we started crowdfunding uh, to pay the performers because we, you know, want to support the queer artists and queer creators. So, um, or crowdfunding to pay the performers and also for some art and some music and some equipment for the show. Uh, so Queens of Adventure uh, is on Kickstarter right now. We're just blowing through some of our stretch goals. Uh, so uh, we're going to be doing some live streams with the Queens playing D&D uh, so folks can interact directly with them. Uh, but if you go to queensofadventure.com, uh, you can check out the Kickstarter. Uh, we've got some amazing uh, backer rewards for folks like uh, bonus episodes. And um, we've got uh, a digital like fun pack where, you know, it's like an activity booklet full of drag queen stuff. Uh, and then we've also got, um, for backers, uh, Chad Sell, who's this incredible drag illustrator, uh, is doing uh, special uh, foil foil uh, postcards that you're going to get, like a physical thing in the mail, an actual thing you can touch, uh, with uh, this beautiful drag art on it, uh, printed on, on foil and shiny and reflective and gorgeous. Uh, so you got that. And then we've also got um, backers can name stuff uh, after can name stuff in the show uh, and vote on game elements so that they can affect stuff in the game. Uh, and then we're going to be launching Queens of Adventure in May uh, with the Queens starting this big epic D&D campaign. Uh, it's super fun. And we found from doing the live show is that there's this incredible overlap between drag and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, you know, you might not expect it, but uh, playing D&D is all about like finding the inner fierce warrior within and uh, bringing a character to life uh, and drag is very similar there's um, you know whether you're slaying a dragon or slaying a lip sync uh, there's uh, <laughs> this perfect overlap between uh, bringing a character to life in drag and drink bringing a character to life in dungeons and dragons uh, so we're super excited about this it's uh, queensofadventure.com it's going to be super fun it's very exciting we're a big fan of uh, actual play podcasts here and I haven't seen um the Dungeons and Drag Queens, but I have watched you uh, DM a live stream Dragon uh, Dungeons and Dragons session. I think yes, for indeed. A charity event. Uh, and we're going to be 
we're going to be doing another one at the end of March. So uh, a couple of months ago, uh, I did a live stream with um, comedian Brian Safi and uh, Carlos Maza from Vox.com and Anthony Oliveira, a.k.a. Mia Koopa on Twitter, uh, and Brian Wiest, who's a film scholar, LGBT film scholar. Uh, and so we just got on Twitch and uh, started a live stream where we're just playing D&D. It's a super queer adventure. Um, I think half of the people who were playing had never played Dungeons and Dragons before. <laughs> half of them had. Uh, so it was a really fun adventure. And uh, we're like, OK, let's do that again. So uh, March 31st, uh, we're going to be doing uh, another adventure with everybody. Uh, we haven't uh, put up the, the details about that yet, but we're going to be announcing that soon. So folks can follow me on Twitter for all the details about that live stream. Uh, and it's, again, like really fun to play D&D. This was not something that I thought was going to be a part of my life even a year ago. Like... <laughs> That's how it my starts. partner James is a, a well exactly yeah it, it really does um, so James my partner is a uh, game designer and so we've been talking about like Dungeons and Drag Queens as a show for a long time like oh haha isn't that a funny name and then uh, this summer we were like okay let's actually do it and so we started figuring out what it was going to be uh, and we started doing the Dungeons and Drag Queens live show in Seattle um, and started doing you know I had to learn how to DM because uh, I DM all the all the the, mm-hmm. the games James designs them and then we started getting the drag queens together for the live show uh, we're getting them together for the Queens of Adventure podcast and uh, I, you know I reached out to uh, Brian Safi and Carlos Maza and uh, Anthony Oliveira and, and, and some friends to be like do you want to do this and to my surprise like the ones you know Carlos is an experienced DM and he was like yeah, yeah sure let's play uh, and Brian Safi, who's uh, a comedian and had never played before, I was like, uh, maybe there's like a 15% chance he'd be like, uh, okay, I guess if I have time. And to my surprise, he is like incredibly enthusiastic for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, that's just not for me. That's like kind of nerdy and it's too hard. It's like a lot of math. But then as soon as you start playing, you're like, oh, no, no, no. It's just fun. And it's just like making stuff up and having a good time with your friends. Uh, and, and that's what it's turned into for us. Just having a good time. I'm excited to see you doing some more DMing ever since uh, you introduced us to a wonderful character, Captain Hepburn, which <laughs> yes, I'm a bit obsessed with the name. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot more of that. Uh, March 31st is our is our next live stream. Cool. We'll repeat all of your um, deets at the end, but let's get back to the the the, the discussion. So, in the first half, we geeked out pretty unashamedly about drag and also RuPaul's Drag Race, but in the last few weeks there have been some recent developments. Uh, RuPaul himself has a slightly uncomfortable history with the dra- uh, with the trans community. Um, while things in recent years had looked to be getting better, a recent interview in which he said that trans contestants who had fully transitioned uh, would have an unfair advantage, and he doubled down a little bit on this, comparing trans women to using performance enhancing drugs at the Olympics. Um, He has since apologised, but some damage has definitely been done, and the debate over the show and drag itself has been louder than ever. Um, So let's start talking about the show and if you consider it to these complaints to be warranted. Um, The show has had a number of trans and non-binary contestants uh, but Rue's issues, do you think he has a point or do you understand what, where he's coming from? I mean, he may have had a point that he was trying to make, but I really 
don't like you know I I, I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but um, it is not possible for me to defend uh, Rue's position uh, on uh, you know uh, that that trans people who are starting a physical transition uh, are you know disqualified from being drag queens. It's just not something that's acceptable to me, and not something that I believe. Uh, and, you know, not demonstrably something that is untrue. Uh, I've seen some really fantastic uh, drag queens who are women. And I, I think that's great, uh, whether they're trans or cis or uh, identify as something else. Um, I, I think that's lovely. I, I, you know, if I had to try to see where Rue's coming from, I guess I see, like, there's that point of, um, you know, if you look at drag as just trying to imitate a woman's body... Okay, yeah, someone who has um, undergone uh, surgical transition uh, would have an advantage there, but you know, it just seems so. That idea seems so foreign to me because I don't think that drag is. Let's see how close we can get to imitating a woman. Uh, I think you know that's yeah. I think part of it might be to do with the fact that in many ways that is Rue's drag. She's the supermodel of the world. Mm-hmm. She. She wants to look like a cover girl, you know, that's her her thing. So I think maybe the idea that that isn't what every drag queen wants might be a little confusing. Or not confusing, but something that she needs reminding of. Um, but to say, but yeah, yeah she, I would agree with that. She Her comment makes it sound like the point of the show is the winner is the one that looks most like a woman. And it's never been that. Um, so it is slightly confusing. And I think... I do think part of it might be um, insecurity in some way. I mean, at drag at DragCon, Rue always does this kind of TED talk all about uh, inner saboteurs and insecurities and things like that. So we know that um, she suffers from this. And I think maybe her... It wasn't so much her interview, because it's kind of where she'd always been positioned on. It was her sort of joke on twitter afterwards that to me read as defensive yeah yeah and you know i really uh, appreciate how many of the drag race performers and contestants have come forward to say uh you know to, to remark upon the importance of trans people in the lgbt community and you know not just as performers but also as uh, community leaders and activists and you know, every, every in every walk of life, scientists and lawyers and and whatever, what ha- you know, there are trans people <laughs> everywhere, uh, and uh, to discount their ability to participate in a queer art form, like it's just, I I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, it's just that someone else that doesn't get it is um, Michelle Visage, who's been who's the closest thing the show has to a co-host, um, and has always said that anyone can do drag. You know, she calls what she does drag. Um, they even had, you know, when they had Lady Gaga on the episode, she was saying that what she does is drag. So it, in a way, Rue's point of view only harms himself in that it's reducing what the show's about. Um, yeah, but yeah, it really did baffle me. Um, and, and I agree, you know, it's frustrating that this keeps needing to be said. In a way, it didn't. It didn't baffle me because I do think this has been Rue's point for a long time. And actually, I was quite surprised when Peppermint was on the show. Um, the, Rue has said a lot of things in the past which haven't been 
exactly apologised for. And I thought with sort of Peppermint as a contestant, the point was that Rue might not be apologising with words, but she's apologising through her actions. And I think maybe this interview and her apology is a stepping stone in actually... uh, changing her point of view for the better and hopefully moving forward and widening what's possible with Drag Race. Yeah. Um, ben Delacreme just did an interview where uh, somebody asked her who deserves to be on All Stars 4. Uh, and Ben's answer was Gia Gunn, Peppermint, Jiggly Caliente, Carmen Carrera. And so I like list just listing <laughs> all of the trans contestants that the show's had in the past. Mm. Uh, just to emphasize, yeah, they... They belong I mean, as much as anybody else. Anybody drag is for everyone. Jinx Monsoon identifies a trans and is a winner, um, and so they've technically, mm. you know, had a trans winner. I think part of what made Peppermint so important was that uh, she wasn't coming out after the show or during the show, uh, and then immediately going. Um, and I guess I, I, I hope this. I know that season ten's already been cast and filmed and everything, but I, I hope maybe season 11 we'll start seeing this opening up Mm. um i would love to see some people on the show who are who don't have to have a reveal that they're women you know like on um it reminds me of of the real world when you know for the first i don't know seven seasons of the real world every season you know around episode three there'd be one character who's like oh i've got a terrible secret i hope nobody finds out and it turns out that they're gay saw it over and over and you know i just don't i'm I'm tired of that on drag race of like oh i hope no nobody finds out that i'm trans or nobody finds out that i'm a woman i, I mean i just want someone to come in and be like hi i'm a woman mm. i think we'll get there i mean this is the issue is that rupaul's drag race is this huge huge global franchise and it's mm-hmm. in that means it's stuck in many ways in its formula and i think the only what it should do is change um rupaul's drag race thailand had a trans woman contestant in which it was uh not really discussed or a big reveal or anything um which i guess was nice but i think in thailand the 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 debate the uh, conversation over gender is quite different um, mm-hmm. So the show has had other criticisms. There's uh, criticisms about its representation of race, um, how it deals with that. Um, there was recently a conversation over an outfit Shangela wore, if it was fat phobia. Um, mm-hmm. What do you make of these criticisms? Uh, you know, um, it's complicated. Um, on one hand, I think Drag Race is in an awkward place because this is not a show that set out to be the the dictionary of drag like when they started making it way back in season one you know it was a cute idea and i don't think anybody thought like okay this show is going to be the global arbiter of what drag is and can be uh so now the show kind of accidentally because it's so good has become that um you know and it's it's a the show's a leader in a way that i don't think anyone on the show was prepared for it to be you know, it's that thing of, like, celebrities saying, like, I'm not a role model. Well, just because you don't want to be a role model doesn't mean that you're not a role model. Hmm. So I do think the show has sort of a moral imperative now that given so how many eyes are on it and how many people look to it for guidance to to lead and to, to set a tone. So, um, I mean, and I get that that's, that's a lot of pressure. And, uh, you know, nobody can be everything to everyone. So, you know, the show's going to stumble. It's going to make mistakes. Uh, it's going to offend people. Um, Rue's been in the public eye for a long time but I think what being in the public eye means has changed quite a lot 
um and people yeah. care a lot more about what you think and where you're coming from and you can definitely see the difference between early seasons where there's a lot of throwing drinks at each other and calling each other names and <laughs> now when they all sit down and have a nice discussion about stonewall or they they have a discussion about um eating disorders and you know it might seem a little forced and a little very special episode but i think it's starting to recognize its platform a lot better um it's taking a while and it's yeah. <laughs> it's gonna it's not over yet but i think it is trying you know something that rue says that i like is that drag never takes itself too seriously um and to me that's an invitation to um you know not just to have fun but also to look at it um a bit like uh, you know comedy like john cleese has this um really lovely description of comedy where he describes it as a temporary anesthesia of the heart where something that would otherwise be painful uh, the comedy takes away the pain just enough that you can look at it and i think drag has that potential as well at times that something that is hard to talk about through drag uh, can be made bearable so that we can talk about it. And, you know, you mentioned Stonewall and eating disorders and, uh, you know, losing people to to diseases and uh, dealing with grief. Uh, you know, these are um, things that have come up on the on, on season uh, nine. And I really appreciate how uh, drag has, has made it possible to have conversations that, like, you know, if you just sat down with somebody at a cafe, it would be a little difficult to, to broach. Um, when I've introduced it, people to the show, they often say to me later that I didn't expect the show to make me cry. <laughs> I didn't expect mm-hmm. lip syncs to make me cry. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what people's... Like, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but at the same time, it's very sincere and emotionally open. It's not a complete parody of anything. It's It feels very real. Yeah, you know, I appreciate something that's provocative and pushes at boundaries. And I think even, you know, the controversy with uh, Shangela's uh, uh, depiction, uh, her, her, her lip sync that caused a lot of people harm, like, I, I absolutely recognize, like, uh, that there are... Um, you know, that this is a depiction that, that, that hurt people and that hurt is real and valid. Uh, and uh, it, it sucks to have a show that you love do something that hurts you. Um, and, you know, that having been said, uh, this is a show that pushes boundaries and tries new things and uh, experiments. And, you know, uh, I, I appreciate when there's an attempt to um, say, OK, well, we're not supposed to do this. Let's do it and see if we can have a conversation about why. And maybe the place that we come back to is, oh, that's why we're not supposed to do that. You know, it hurts people in this way or, you know, it's it, it uh, punches down or attacks people in this way that's very unfair. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to have a reason to talk about it. I'm glad that drag can provide that. Do you think that the show has helped drag as an art form? Or as Jasmine Masters has put it, do you think RuPaul's Drag Race has fucked up drag? <laughs> oh, I think that's, it's too complicated to say it's been good or bad. You know, like anything, it's been good for drag and it's been bad for drag. Mm. So I think it's brought drag to people who would never otherwise have seen it. I think it's opened people up to new kinds of drag. But I also think that it's sort of calcified RuPaul's vision of drag, uh, you know, I, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's ever been a bearded queen on the show, mm. for example. And there certainly have never been, you know, any, any, anyone on the show who came in identifying openly as a woman until like a few episodes in. So, you know, I think it's established like, oh, drag is this thing because Ru says so. 
And I don't think that's great. Uh, you know, I also think it's, I think... you know, done... Sorry. It's, it's done some things for, for queer community where, like, I think it's wonderful that it gets people together in gay bars. I mean, that's fantastic because gay bars were dying until, like, RuPaul was like, oh, no, everybody come back and watch this show. But also, you know, moving it to Thursday night has made things a little inconvenient for, mm. for gay bars that are like, oh, Thursday's not the best night for this. I think... So, you know, it's good and bad. I think the thing is, is that if someone just watches Drag Race, I think they'd be very surprised by what they see if they went to their local queer performance night um and the 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 range of what drag is and can be would really surprise them and just the different context Mm. like one of the things that frustrates me about the show is how removed uh all of the queens are from the context in which they always perform so the, the the slightly tedious scripted acting challenges and some of the other challenges just don't relate to anything that these queens do. And for example, I think in All Stars 3, someone like Chi Chi Devane has amazing looks, has an amazing personality, is a phenomenal lip syncer, but when they go on the show, they can't really show that right, and they end up looking like they're bad at drag when they're not. They're the exact the type of queen that would put on an amazing show if you went to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think uh, something I've always wanted from the season finales is for them to just be given a 10 minute slot in the finale to do whatever they want and to show what their drag is. Um, that would be fascinating. Yeah. I would love to see that. Because I certain times in the show, it's just felt like it doesn't feel like being in a club and seeing a drag queen perform. But that's just my own issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, even on, on our own show, on Queens of Adventure, we've got... Uh, Two queens who uh, have facial hair, and we've got another who is a, um, she calls herself aggressively transgressive arsenicky, and, you know, she does drag that you look at and you're like, um, what am I looking at? Like, it's very um, mystifying and uh, confusing sort of drag that, like, you just can't look away from because it's just fascinating and weird. Uh, And, you know, that's something like, if these queens went on Drag Race, I feel like the show would have no idea what to do with them. And you'd be like, you know, watching them, you'd be like, well, you know, what what do you do? Because, you know, you're you've got facial hair and you're doing this, um, you know, you're crawling around on the floor or you're wearing you're painting your face in this way that doesn't even look like a face. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they're doing things uh, that are real different from what you see on television, uh, but certainly just as valid. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to kind of end before we get into some questions by basically saying that neither of us are trans women um and we there's been a lot of discussion from trans women on twitter and elsewhere um about their own feelings about the show and i think they're very valid and while we can say that the show is really important to us it helps us uh a lot in our queer identities that hasn't been the case for everyone and to a lot of people it does make them feel uncomfortable i just wanted to make it clear that this episode is our point of view um it doesn't mean it's the right point of view necessarily um right but how do you think the drag community can take a step to trying to change this point of view to try and open up and make people feel less uncomfortable 
I mean, I guess the most important thing to do is to listen, right? Uh, to, to marginalized voices. Uh, a lot of drag queens, you know, that are cis gay men have been in a position of being marginalized. And uh, I think all that's required here is a little empathy and remembering what that's like and listening to trans women about their experiences. You know, literally, it's just ask a, ask a question, close your mouth and listen. Uh, to, you know, if if somebody is expressing a problem with something, listen to why they're having a problem and, and really think about it. Um, if somebody feel, feels as though they're not being included, uh, ask them why not and what can be done and listen to their answer. A trans friend of mine did say that the reason they haven't watched it is not from a genuine sort of repulsion to it. It's just that they don't know what about it is for them. Um and my only response to that was that I I don't think the show intends to be for them. Um, I can explain what it means to me, and if they mm-hmm. can watch through that point of view, they might understand it. But I think I would love the show to make some overt reference to this issue. And to not just coast around it and avoid it and sort of change slowly. I would like there to be some moment, uh, which I wouldn't imagine to happen next season, except for possibly the finale, which is was the only thing they record later. Um, I just like some statement or some promise to do better. Um, but maybe that's wishing too much. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think uh, the people who are really leading are the uh, the contestants. Uh, you yeah, know, there was a great uh, op-ed by uh, Monica Beverly Hills. Uh, you know, I think Peppermint is just brilliant in, in the way that she's talking about the, this whole issue. So, uh, you know, I really look to the to the young folks, to the kids. No, to the you know, the folks who are who are, you know, living the experience of being uh, in the you know professional drag artists. Uh, or, or who have been in that position in the past. So do you, uh, I think they're the ones who are really going to lead the way. So do you personally believe that the pros of Drag Race outweigh the cons, personally? I do, yeah. Okay. Because I feel the same. I, I've jumped from one side to the other a lot. Um, I think with many topics we cover, what I would really like is for more shows like Drag Race. At the moment, it's not just the only, it's not just the only show that's representing the drag community it's one of the bigger shows representing the queer community and i would love to see more drag shows but i'd love to just see more huge mainstream crossover shows where everyone involved is queer every voice you're hearing is queer every point of view is um Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the issues rupaul's drag race has is that it's a competitive reality elimination show that wants to create drama and we can do more than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'd love to see more. I mean, we've got Queer Eye right now, which is nice. And uh, keep it coming. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I want to give a brief shout out to an article um, I read, which is from um, a trans journal- uh, author, journalist, writer, um, Samantha Riddell, um, on them, the... Uh, Articles called How Drag Queens Turned Against the Trans Community. So, obviously, it's a point of view that uh, you can hear from the title, but it was a really interesting read. It goes into the history of drag. It goes into what the community can do to change um, and to invite more trans people in, I suppose. Um, So, 
we're going to ask some questions. We're running quite light, so I will try and speed through these. Um, one is from at dbauer32 on Twitter. They said, basically, I just want to know what your thoughts are on wanting to support Drag Race to, uh, to support the queer artists who appear on it, but being fed up with Rue as a person. Um, we've said that, like, if you are personally fed up with RuPaul, that it's totally valid. Um, but the reason why I watch for certain is the contestants. And while, you know, they have to play a certain way because in many ways RuPaul is giving them this platform, I think a lot of them have been very vocal on their own opinion. And I support the queens I support because I know who they are as people is who I want to support. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, I have two thoughts there. One is that it's okay for your faves to be problematic. Uh, you can, you know, recognize that everybody's on a journey, even RuPaul. And, uh, you know, people are learning and improving, hopefully, and getting better. And, uh, you know, just because someone um, is not where you want them to be doesn't mean you have to write them out of your life altogether. Uh, but that having been said, you know, if what you need to do is, uh, you know, if, for your own well-being, you need to take them out of your life, well, that's okay too. Uh, you can still support those queer artists. I mean, the best way to do it is go see them live, uh, you know, tip them in person or just, you know, retweet them on social media, whatever it takes. Uh, but there are a lot of ways to support uh, the queer performers on the show. And, you know, the nice thing about how many there have been is, and, and how accessible they are, is that it's it's easy to do that. And however, however you want to do it, uh, you know, just... Follow them on social media is, is, is the best way to do it uh, if they're far away. And then when they come to your town, uh, definitely go see them, get tickets and bring your friends. Um, Andrew asked via email, um, the recent RuPaul controversy caused a wave of support for trans drag artists, along with many informative posts about the shared history of trans women and cis gay men in drag and uh, close brackets, open brackets, cross-dressing. The style of drag shown on Drag Race is about people assigned male at birth being able to express and perform femininity like they cannot in mainstream society. And obviously many of the pioneers of that style would likely... Uh, identify as transgender women today. Similarly, drag queens have always been a part of both butch, lesbian, and trans male culture. My question is, how does this apply to cisgender female drag queens or, uh, brackets, bio queens? Obviously, a large number of drag race fans are cisgender women, and many are asking for cisgender women to be allowed to compete on the show. What is your opinion of this, and what's the your opinion on uh, cisgender men performing drag kings? Trolling as drag queens, sorry. Um, essentially, yeah. What do you think? We've said that we feel like anyone could perform drag. Yeah, and I stand by that. Uh, I was just uh, on my podcast, The Sewers of Paris. Uh, I just had an episode about uh, professional wrestling, uh, about uh, interview this drag queen, Poyo Del Mar, who talked about how professional wrestling was very important to her growing up. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, I included this clip of this wrestler in the US, uh, Randy Savage, uh, who's. Uh, performance is so over the top masculine he would never call himself you know he's he's passed away now but he would never have called himself uh, a drag performer he would never have called his performance drag but it's this intensely aggressively comedically masculine thing that he's doing that i think you could easily make the case that he is a drag king he is a cis heterosexual man who is a drag king um you know i i think Whatever sort of performance you want to do, drag is open to everyone. That having been said, I think it's also important to highlight and amplify the most marginalized voices within a particular uh, art form. So, you know, um, 
cis white men do not necessarily need a lot of help uh, bringing their their voices forward. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm always looking to uh, people who might have been overlooked. Uh, so for sure, like female performers, uh, female identified performers, um, uh, trans performers, uh, performers of color. Uh, these are these are the people that I, you know, I think it's important to focus on. But uh, as far as like, are, are there rules about who can and can't? Uh, the short answer is no, it's for everyone. Yes, I think it's for everyone. I would also say that if you are not queer um, and you want to perform in a queer space, just be respectful. <laughs> Um, yes, good advice in, in any context. Uh, and finally, um, Jimmy on our Facebook group said, do you feel American drag race slash Paris's burning culture has taken over other types of drag? If so, how uh, do you feel it's a good or a bad thing? Um, I wanted to mention this because um, I remember in the last season, Charlie Hydes said that in London, the queens perform live and got a lot of, uh, I guess, backlash about that. But... Hmm. I have been to see a lot of drag shows, and the only queens that lip sync are the drag queens from Drag uh, Drag Race. Um, Everyone else does perform and sing live, and it's not about sounding good, it's about putting on a show. (laughs) Um, The other thing is that in the UK, we do not have $1 bills, um, and (laughs) we do not have a culture of tipping. Uh, in restaurants. I mean, we do tip a bit in restaurants uh, recently, but um, it's not part of the culture in the way it is an American one. And I've seen a few drag race girls be a bit annoyed by the lack of tipping mm-hmm. when they visit. That's really interesting. Um, and yeah, it's definitely something that I've noticed overseas. Uh, and yeah, gosh, I don't know what to say about it. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I do like tipping as an act, as a way to participate with a performer and let them know to signal your approval. Uh, I think that's a really nice thing. And when it's like a jangly handful of um, <laughs> like one euro coins, uh, that gets really inconvenient. Um, and I have, I've noticed in the recent years since drag race becoming really popular that uh the type of drag you see in british clubs is changing and does shift more um drag race um but it's not inherently a bad thing i do think it's a shame sometimes um okay so that about does it for us again we've chosen a very big topic and tried to squeeze it all into an hour and failed uh, but we hope that we've been a little bit balanced. It's a really tough subject because I know people have impassioned feelings both sides of it, um, and we wanted to respect that. But uh, as we also said, we're not the perfect people to have the debate that solves all these problems. So I hope that was at least fun for everyone. Mm. Um, if you'd like to send in a question for our next episode, please do so via boxnotincluded at gmail.com or via social media. We're boxnotincluded on Twitter, Tumblr, and we also have a Facebook page, which is really great. And it's also private. Um, if you'd like to contact us directly on Twitter, I'm at Hamish Steele. Where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Matt Baum, M-A-T-T-B-A-U-M-E. And our Queens of Adventure podcast is at queensofadventure.com. That's drag queens playing Dungeons and Dragons. Awesome. And I'll make sure to uh, put a link to all of that in the show notes. Um, Perfect. Yay. 
Cool. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to my dear absent co-host Jade, who we hope gets better soon. You can find them at Jade Oxford Rose. Um, they will also be editing this, so a nice shout out to them. And finally, as always, yeah, get well soon, Jade. Yes, uh, we will have you back next week. Um, and as always, we'd like to thank Graham Waller, Audio Overlord, and Master of the Soundwaves for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. But uh, <laughs> until next time, I'm Hamish Steele. Would you like to say goodbye? Uh, yeah, goodbye, everybody. I'm Matt Baum. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And don't let anybody box you in. Sashay away. Mm-hmm.